Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to another episode of Beth's Bookshelf. Today's episode is particularly exciting because I have Meredith Russo with me, who wrote the novel If I Was Your Girl. It's a much-loved young adult LGBT novel which was picked by Zoella for her WH Smith book club. Twitter went absolutely crazy over this book and I was just one of many who holds this book very close to their heart. Meredith and I got talking about the representation of transgender characters in literature. She shared stories about her writing process and her publishing route with If I Was Your Girl. And she also shared a very important note on artists who are minorities feeling pressured to always talk about the struggle. So if this sounds like something that you would like to hear about, then just stay exactly where you are. So for those listening who haven't read If I Was Your Girl, could you provide an explanation of what the book is about? The book is um, the book's about a teenage transgender girl named Amanda who's already completed every stage of her transition that you could imagine. Um, but in her hometown, someone who knew her from before recognizes her in a girl's bathroom and that classmate's male guardian uh, pretty savagely beats her and so her mom panics and says well you can't be here anymore I don't want this to happen again um, so she sends her somewhere to start over and in the case of this book it's um, her estranged father who she hasn't seen in six years uh, who lives in a little podunk town up in the Appalachian Mountains in Tennessee um, and so she goes to this little town hoping to, like, maybe fix things with her dad, but otherwise just to keep her head down and not get into any trouble and not make any connections and just survive her senior year of, her senior year of high school and then, you know, move off to the big city and start her life over. But then, of course, she's the pretty mysterious new girl, so she shows up and kind of immediately friends and love interests start parking themselves uh, in her life and kind of craving her attention. And so the story becomes her struggle to kind of figure out a balancing act between just how intimate she's going to allow herself to be with these new people versus the important secrecy of keeping herself safe. It's a really incredible story. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. 
So if I was a girl follows Amanda and, you know, she's just a normal teenage girl determined to keep her past and in secret and it's just a really riveting read. And the book was selected for Zoella's um, W.H. Smith's book club, wasn't it? How was that? Uh, what was it like being in Zoella's club? Um, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure that she's as popular over here as she is over in the UK. But I remember, um, I remember a couple, like six months before I was added to the book club, um, a Twitter follower uh, sent me a link to one of her videos where I think she'd been on like uh, she'd been on a holiday. And she was talking about some books that she'd read at the end of the video. And at first I was watching the video and I was like, I don't understand what this is. Is this channel just about watching this woman shop? But then within like 10 <laughs> minutes, I was like, oh my God, she's so charming. And like, like five minutes in, I was like, I don't understand this. And 10 minutes in, I was just like sitting there wrapped up in a blanket watching Zoella like <laughs> do her thing. Um, and so then, like, just knowing that, just knowing that someone like her had enjoyed the book, um, was amazing. But then finding out that, finding out that I'd been included in the book club was just a huge honor. Okay. And you got a, it was, is it a limited edition cover you got when you're in the club as well? Yeah. It's, um, it's the regular UK cover, but instead of the darker blue background, um, that you get, if you shop at any regular bookstore, it's like a silvery reflective. Uh, background on the cover, and you get a special sticker with Joel, uh, with not Joel, that's my editor, with uh, <laughs> That's confusing. With Zola's face on it. Um, uh, that, that must have been a really cool moment. Um, it was an amazing moment. <laughs> Personally, I think it should, your book should be compulsory to read for most people, like a Bible, just passing it around classrooms. I think it's really important and eye-opening. And it just... Uh, like to ask what 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 did you think of the representation of um like transgender characters in literature before you wrote the book? Uh, I mean, it's been slowly getting better because um I'm I turned thirty in a month. Uh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, I turned thirty in a month, so I'm one of those um. I'm one of those 90, 90s kids that you read about a lot on BuzzFeed. Yeah. Um, one of those 90s kids that needs constant lists of things that we liked um, to remind us that we're closer to dying. But, <laughs> uh, the early 90s and the 90s in general were kind of a kind of a bleak time, um, where like a lot of it stemmed from there were two popular there were three popular things going on. That, that made trans representation kind of a nightmare. Um, one was the movie Silence of the Lambs uh, with, um, one of, with one of the greatest actors the UK's ever produced, Anthony Hopkins. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an amazing movie, but, and it goes out of its way to say that the villain isn't transgender, but like in the popular imagination, the villain was still transgender. Um, and that was pretty ghoulish to see as a trans, like, young adult in, like, the mid-90s. And there was a popular movie called Ace Ventura Pet Detective that was yeah. uh, sort of the, the Austin Powers of its time, where people quoted it nonstop, and the villain was a transgender woman who gets her privates shown to, like, everyone she's ever kissed, and they all vomit. Um, 
often there is daytime television where like every other day the Jerry Springer or Maury Povich, the theme of the show would be like, it turns out my girlfriend is a man and like the guy would vomit on stage. Like there have been enough incident instances, even in the early aughts and really even through to now, if you include movies like The Hangover 2, um, yeah. of in regular representation, like a male character will realize that he's been intimate with a trans character and then vomit there have been enough of those that they're like that uh trans performance artists can get entire shows out of just like looping clips of of those for like 15 or 20 minutes of just those scenes um and it, it wasn't all that like that was enough to really kind of upset me and put me in a bad place as a kid there were still attempts like uh like the movie boys don't cry about brandon tina yeah um like there were cisgender people that were really trying. And I think that that movie was coming from a good place. But I also think there was a certain level of tone deafness about what trans audiences would need. Like, I think that um, cis people that this is people that produced that movie the way that they did. And in general, cis people that create stories about trans characters even now um, are. And it's hard to blame them because I'm white. And a lot of the time, I don't necessarily think too hard about, like, my privilege or who I'm speaking to when I talk about issues related to race, for example. But, like, mm. Boys Don't Cry, when cis people watch that movie, um, their response is, oh, some, we need to do something. Like, it reminds them of, like, the humanity of trans people, and it reminds them that we exist and we have feelings. But when trans people watch Boys Don't Cry, we generally just end up in a depressive spiral for weeks and weeks and especially if we're young we become convinced that like it's our lot in life to get killed so that cisgender people can learn something from it um there's another movie i think soldier's girl where the trans person didn't die but the cisgender lover did die and novels in general are getting a, you know they're getting better about it um like in the late aughts i think there were uh there's their novels like Being Emily is pretty good. Um, I think Luna's pretty good. Parrotfish is good, but I'm not a trans guy, so I can't speak as much to that. Um, and there, there's still a lot of stories like that, like um, Almost Perfect, where the trans character doesn't die at the end, but she still ends up like pretty roughed up and messed up. And so a lot of those stories were just deeply unsatisfying to me and to a lot of trans people that I knew. So I kind of wanted to write a story where it was still meant to be approachable for cis readers, but that it would have something to offer transgender readers that kind of hadn't been offered before. Yeah. Well, it, it was the first novel that I had even heard of with a trans main character, which says it all, really. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't come across any of the ones you just mentioned. So that it is getting better, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of many. So did did you write the story with the objective in mind to bring more trans characters into literature, like an agenda, or was it purely to just share a story that was meaningful to you? Um, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Okay. Um, I don't think I don't think it's the chief res I don't think it's the chief duty of artists to be responsible or to help a movement. I think it is ability. Yeah, it's also not the responsibility of minorities either. I feel like a lot of people put pressure on black people and trans people to always be 
preaching uh-huh. and yeah it's not your responsibility all the time it's tiring <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is tiring and i mean there are times where we don't want to talk about the struggle you know like yeah. there are times where i think people imagine that minorities are like constantly thinking about the struggle and living the struggle but like, <laughs> it's a snow day. it's a snow day here today and i've spent most of the day either snuggling with my girlfriend or like playing video games on my computer um haven't really thought about being trans like at all today (laughs) um yeah i i've sort of it's a balancing act of course because you don't want to back yourself into a corner when you're a minority of like only writing about that but then as much as it does suck sometimes there is an element of well if not me who's gonna do it and i i want i want to live in a world where i'm one face among many um, but for now, because I started writing If I Was Your Girl around the time that Janet Mock and Laverne Cox were getting famous, and yeah. they were kind of my inspiration, because at all times, at all times, trans women of color are on the vanguard and deserve our infinite respect. Um, and their growing popularity and looking around at the way that the book world was made me feel like it was time um, for it to happen. Um, I've written in the past about characters that aren't uh, transgender, and I've got um, I've got characters in stories I'm writing now who qualify as like protagonists or dual protagonists who aren't transgender. Um, but I think unless things change a lot, I'm going to make characters who are trans at least a minor part of anything that I write from here forward, just because there's still so much work to do. I think if we reach a, if we reach a point where there are just a bunch of other successful trans writers, at that point, I'll start just writing about cis characters for a while, or just not thinking about it. But um, it feels like too big a responsibility until then. I suppose even if you're not trying to make a statement, it would be natural for you to start writing about a trans main character because it's what you relate to. I know you don't do that all yeah. the time. Like, there's plenty of female authors who write male protagonists, but naturally you want to write about your own experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for example, the new YA book that I'm working on now, Birthday, has two protagonists, and one of the protagonists is a, um, is a cisgender boy. So um, I'm, getting, I'm getting opportunities to to explore kind of outside of my realm of experience. Um, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to at the very least um, get more and more kind of high concept and weird with stories as I go forward. Um, like there are ways in which if I was your girl is very basic. Um, it's sort of an, it's sort of an all American love story. Um, and by the time my career is finished, I just want to be writing, like, really weird cyberpunk dystopian, uh, like, high-concept stuff that still has trans characters, but the fact that they're trans becomes almost not noticeable because it's faded into the background compared to how weird the setting or the story is. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saying something similar to another um, podcast guest that, I think fantasy like and dystopians and stuff are the genre where we need um, more diverse characters because ca- uh, characters and who they are and their sexualities fade into the background in that kind of genre and it helps normalise oh. it. 
And I think fantasy and dystopia is where we see all the white straight men all the time. Yeah, and I think that um, by its very nature, fantasy, because if you don't think about it hard, it can, you know, harken back to, like, idealizing feudalism. I think if, if you don't if you don't think about it hard, fantasy can really easily slide into fascism or conservatism, um, which I think isn't the best way to use it. Um, and it definitely the work the work there definitely needs doing. So far, I've only dipped my toe in fantasy. I did. Um, there's there's a Tumblr called the Hanging Garden Winter Gala, mm-hmm. um, and I submitted a short story about a necromancer who finds out that there's a transgender girl who's accidentally made a bargain with, like, a wicked fake creature, and this necromancer girl has to save her, and they end up falling in love. Um, sounds cool. And that's... <laughs> it's You should check it out if it sounds interesting. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence Corpses. Um, wow. <laughs> and, and one day I want to be able to write more stuff like that, sort of on a mass market level, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, how was the idea for if I was your girl, like, birthed? I know you've already explained this a little, but with the the rise of um, influencers like Laverne Cox, like you were talking about, who's awesome, by the way, I love her, uh-huh. um, was it the motive that came first, or the story, like, did you think, right, it's time to get my story out there? And then you started planning Amanda and everything that she is. Or did the idea for the story come first, if that makes any sense? Um, <laughs> it was a badly worded came, question. <laughs> the motive came first, um, but the yeah. motive was kind of twofold. It wasn't just Laverne and Janet. Um, though you're right, they, they are both amazing. They're both more like wonderful, brilliant, shining stars that I think I'll ever be. Like, I stand in awe of them. Um, <laughs> Real <day. but> another, <laughs> another motive that I had is that, um, and this this might all seem arcane if you're not American, but in America, um, when you go to high school and when you go to college or university um, and you take literature courses, you tend to almost exclusively read literature written by people from New York and New England, kind of. Um, And the poorer places in America, which is to say the South and the Midwest, which is where most of the poverty is and where the fewest big cities are, um, have amazing literary traditions, um, have just wonderful histories of amazing novels. Like, the Midwest has Willa Cather, and the South has Flannery O'Connor and William Faulkner and Tennessee Williams. Um, but they tend to be pretty acutely ignored. Um, and as someone who made a really conscious decision to stay in this place to try to make it better instead of running away to somewhere that I thought would be better, um, another part of my motive was wanting to write, wanting to write a book that was, in a way, as Southern as it was as it was trans or queer um, to sort of, especially in a, in a time where people are talking about poverty and the politics of it, as much as they're talking about, um, as much as they're talking about gender identity and, and race and everything else. Um, it was an issue I wanted to touch on. Yeah. And I, and I, I built the story around those two motives. Your novel 
has meant just so much to people of the trans community, like particularly the girls. I, I see comments about the story all the time and people speak to me in person about the story saying it helped them to realise who they are and that it shaped them and it made them feel better about their situations and I've even seen on like Goodreads people saying that they went into the novel not knowing much about the community at all and finishing mm-hmm. the book feeling like they'd been awoken. Like, uh-huh. It means a lot to people that you've included like trans characters and you featured a trans model on the cover too, didn't you? I, I read that somewhere. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, Flatiron is uh, an amazing company, frankly. Um, is this, this your this publishing the, this company? My, my, my American publisher. Okay. Um, all, of, all of my publishers are, are amazing, obviously, but, <laughs> but Flatiron, Flatiron was the one that was responsible for the cover. Um, for the for the American cover with Kira Conley on it, um, I think the UK cover art is gorgeous as well. But I um I was I was in a very kind of dark place economically and and socially when I got the book deal. Um, and at the time, I didn't necessarily have the highest opinion of cis people. Um, and so I was still excited. And I went to the meeting and I, st- I still found all of them completely charming. I was just kind of used to being disappointed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about the book and they said, now, what's something we can do to kind of um, make the book feel even more welcoming to the trans community? And I was like, I mean, you could hire more trans people for like whatever is left to do, like the cover or audiobooks or anything. And then they just looked around and went, yeah, that's a good idea. And I was like, okay, they're going to like say that, but then they're going to like come back a month later and say, well, that was hard. So we didn't um, No, And then a month or two later, they sent me the, they sent me the proofs from the photo shoot and I was blown away. And then I saw the cover itself and it was, it was amazing. Um, and then we, we got, uh, we got Sammy amounts, for the audiobook and she did an amazing she did an amazing job but they really did their best to get a trans actress um which you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection blue nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Sammy, Sammy isn't trans and I'm, I'm so happy. Like she won an award because her performance is that great. Um, but it just meant a lot to me that Flatiron worked really hard, um, to try to get a trans actress before that. And I think that kind of, that kind of effort means a lot to me. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a really good company that puts their money where their mouth is as far as, as far as inclusion and working to make things better. Oh, that sounds incredible. Uh, what what was it like for you to see people convey such a strong response and a connection to your work? Um, this is going to sound weird, maybe, but it's almost like the first time when you're young that you that you fancy someone and you hand them a note that says like I like you do you like me y slash n and then they mm-hmm. hand it back and they, and they have circle and they've circled y it's like that but with like <laughs> tens of that but with tens of thousands of people because putting your art out where people can see it and judge it and review it um you're making yourself just as vulnerable in a way as you are when you're opening up romantically to someone um, and it can hurt just as much when you're rejected because you've, you've put a piece of your soul out there for them to see. Um, but it's, it's almost just as, it's almost just as rewarding when it, when it works out well. well that, that's actually a really nice description. It didn't sound that weird. <laughs> okay. I imagine it was quite an emotional writing process with a lot of, ups and downs what was the experience like writing a novel about other characters when the themes are so personal um it can sometimes be a dark thing spending so much time with your laptop when you're writing something long for (laughs) yeah i had an i had an attic office at the time um that wasn't very well insulated so i wrote the whole thing over the course of a year so even just physically i spent oh no my heater started up um let me turn that let me turn that off. Um, so I spent a good couple of months in my skivvies, sweating through my chair, and a good couple of months like wrapped up in a blanket and a coat Getting while I wrote. Um, but it was the only it was the only way to get some some privacy at that point in my life. Um, no, it was it was hard, especially because I'm the kind of writer that before I even write, my characters kind of come alive as people inside of my head. And when I actually sit down to start writing, it's almost like dictation. And so to a certain extent, they're, they're real to me. Um, not in like a, not in like a straitjacket, lock me up hearing voices kind of way, but (laughs) in a more emotional way. And so especially once I get into the second act of anything that I'm writing and I start having to do bad things to them, uh, I do start feeling kind of immensely guilty about it, um, especially in the case of Amanda, where she's going through things that I've either experienced or I'm familiar with or that I fear happening to me. Um, that hit very close to home. The chapter where uh, I don't want to spoil things too much for anyone who hasn't read it, but the chapter right after Homecoming where she's walking home was was um, pretty incredibly difficult for me to write. I can imagine. Amanda is an incredible character with a lot of interesting traits and how were characters like her and Grant shaped? Um, I actually, this isn't how I go through the whole thing, but to get a start, um, to get an idea of a character, I usually um, sit down with a list of astrological signs 
and I pick one that that closest resembles my idea of that character. Um, and then I'll take a Myers-Briggs personality test as that character to get them a type. Um, and those two things together, um, it's pretty bare bones, but those two archetypes together can usually give me a pretty good idea. And then I'll take notes of one or two of their most important memories, or the, the, the memories or places that are most important to them. Um, I'm almost, and this is, this is kind of a nerdy admission, I tend to think of my characters as, like, Dungeons and Dragons character sheets. Hmm. Um, like, I'm not writing down numbers for their, like, strength or how good they are at fighting monsters, but I usually still have a two- or three-page sheet of, um, of traits that apply to them that inform the way that they go through the world. Um, I was taught that, I was taught that characters are really just a bag full of six or seven adjectives and three or four goals and so it's a way of extrapolating from that. No, that's a really interesting way to form a character. I've not heard anyone say something <laughs> like that. It sort of shows that you take your characters very seriously, that you give them a personality type and a zodiac sign and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, it's they're, they're just kind of easy archetypes to start from. Yeah. You know? It, it sounds nice. It makes it very real, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, you did you take the traditional route to publishing the novel? I know you said, was it was it Flatiron Publishing Group you said you were? Uh, yeah. The only thing that was a little bit different was um, I used, as uh, I worked with a book packager, um, instead of a traditional agent, and... Um, Book packagers can be a little odd in the way that you work, but for this project, the way that If I Was Your Girl worked out, um, they were effectively just like if your agent also helped you workshop your book and was an editor and an agent. Um, but other than that, the publishing process has been pretty straightforward. And what was your like general experience like? How were the, the themes in the novel received by publishing groups like did, did you have any like um and how to word this properly like anyone sort of turn their heads away from it no there was actually a pretty serious bidding war um oh wow that must have been really nice to see after the awful 90s <laughs> yeah it was it was incredibly surprising especially because i was i was working at an amazon shipping center at the time doing 12-hour shifts on the overnight. Um, so that was very nice to find out. Um, no, I, I know I talk about some compromises that I made in the author's note at the end, um, but all of those were made kind of willingly on my part with both of my eyes open. Yeah. Um, my, my editors and publishers kind of advice informed the decisions that I made, um, like having made... Like, the fact that Amanda's already had a sexual reassignment surgery, um, that was something that my editor, that my editors said would be a good idea. Um, and we, and we talked it through. And, but ultimately, ultimately the decision was up to me. Um, and so Sarah Barley, my editor at Flatiron, is, um, just a wonderful person. She left those, she left those decisions up to me and we, and we talked them out, and I'm, I still feel happy with the places that I felt like I needed to compromise. 
Um, I wish I lived in a world where those kinds of compromises weren't necessary, but um, having done them, I think they made for a book that's reached more people than it would have otherwise. I hope that the success of If I Was Your Girl and it being picked for Zoella's Club and it being so talked about encourages other trans writers to get trans characters out there. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, like, um... Cisgender authors writing queer characters, like because it, um, it's happened before. Do you think it's normally an accurate perception, or it's often a bit mm, sugarcoated? Maybe. I think about this a lot. Um, Cause I, because I I often wonder if they're helping or if they're sort of trying to act like they know a struggle and they don't. I think about this a lot because I want to be able to write stories with. Um, with characters who aren't white and with characters who are otherwise members of minorities I'm not a part of. Um, and so I don't necessarily, and as an, as an artist, I do sometimes bristle at the idea that people are only allowed to write what they're, only allowed to express what they're most familiar with. Um, because I think it's important for an artist to constantly be challenging themselves and broadening their horizon. I think for me, because I'm, um, I'm a boring, I'm a boring, flinty-nosed socialist. It tends to come back to economics issues, issues for me. Um, the issue for me is less that I think a cisgender or a straight author will always, by definition, get it wrong. Um, I think you can hire sensitivity readers to read your man's manuscript and show you what's making them uncomfortable or what isn't working. Um, and I know there are some cis, uh, there are some cisgender and some straight writers who have had good luck with that. Uh, the issue for me when it comes to, like, Eddie Redmayne playing Lily Elba or cisgender writers for now writing trans stories is that cisgender actors can already get lots of work playing cisgender characters, and cisgender authors can already get lots of money publishing stories about cisgender characters. Um, but as it stands, trans actors and actresses are only really allowed to play trans characters. And not that, like, I absolutely don't resist resent the opportunity I've been given, but I probably wouldn't have been published if I'd written about a cis character. So for me, it's less an issue of authenticity as it is about, for now at least, um, majority people writing and acting about minority experiences are taking money and opportunities from trans people or black people or you name it. I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, thinking about it from an economical perspective as well, I have seen a lot of comments that if, and it's not even just uh, cis people actually, just some kind of trans people who are privileged in other aspects are writing characters from a very rich perspective and it's I think it's a very it's a very different experience to grow up in New York trans than it is um I don't know I can't think of other American states but but one you know like it's a different experience if you grow up in South Carolina trans isn't it there you go yeah like Uh, for here it'd be like the London versus Birmingham thing yeah A a trans person growing up in a council estate is going to have a very different experience to someone with a lot of money going to a good school. And I think a lot of representation before your book was a very rich kind of Caitlyn Jenner kind of transition. 
<laughs> yeah, you can't see it, but I just rolled my eyes. Um, <laughs> I heard it. I sensed it. No. <laughs> No, I mean that's very true. Um, I, I will say that uh, I will say that the trans the trans person who grows up in South Carolina at least can get a good plate of shrimp and grits, and the <laughs> New York trans girl probably can't. But that's the only advantage I can think of. Yeah, the the experience of a white upper middle class transgender person from a from a blue city and a blue state, which is I don't know if you're familiar, is what we call like left leaning yeah, areas. Yeah. Um, is gonna have a radically different experience from a poor from a poor black trans woman from a poor largely conservative area um one of them one of them despite the oppression that she still faces the rich the rich white one is probably gonna have access to college um to lots of safety nets to um lots of transition resources and i don't want to go into too many gory details, but there's a reason that homelessness and sex work are at epidemic levels um, mm. among transgender teenagers. Um, and that's something that I'd like to touch on in my work someday. But um, but Amanda was a good starting point, I feel. Yeah, she's a brilliant starting point. Like I said, it's been so inspirational to so many people I know. I was pretty much harassed into reading your book, so you have the, them to thank for the fact that I flicked through it. They're like, you have to read this book! <laughs> yeah, lots of people oh, loved you, it. I'm that, I'm that way with my friends about practically everything. Um, <laughs> I'm just tedious once I found something that I like. There was a whole six months where I would talk about nothing but Hamilton until they listen to it, and now they just never want to hear about it again. <laughs> I did that with Stranger Things. I won't leave people alone until they read it. Read it? Watched it. <laughs> I knew what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Laverne Cox's tweets last night, or maybe a few nights ago, that she's been cast in a female cis role? I had heard about that, and that's that was genuinely startling. Um, that was not something that I thought I would see ever. It's um, incredible. Is at least it? not in my lifetime. It's very refreshing. Yeah, it's, it's Netflix, and they are very um, diverse in who they cast. But yeah, she's she's main character as well, alongside Eliz Elizabeth Banks, I think. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know she, I know she had a pretty important role in some series on ABC about lawyers. I tend not to. My cat's mad at me. I tend not to pay a lot of attention to, um, tend not to pay a lot of attention to cable shows about sassy lawyers, but I was still incredibly proud of her. Yeah, it's incredible. Your, your cat wants attention. I always get this from cats on podcasts. Mm -hmm. I get jealous that you're on the computer and not fussing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's staring daggers at me right now. I thought cats were always giving daggers, not just her face. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, yeah. are there any um, sort of LGBTQA plus um, books that you recommend? Ones you've read that you think are really positive um, portrayals? Um, Just to add to my... What's group. the age range for your audience? I believe it is 18 to 30, which is quite a gap. Mainly to 18 to 25, I think. Okay. Um, if it's 18 to 30... Then, in my opinion, 
um, the two best things that you can look up. I tend to hesitate recommending them when I know teenagers are listening because they include a lot of drugs and sex. Oh, um, no, it's fine. They're like older talking, teenagers. If we're talking 18 to 30, um, I think everyone interested in trans issues should read the short story collection A Safe Girl to Love by Casey Platt and the novel Nevada by Imogen Binney. Um, these are two examples of, these are two examples of books that, um, much more even than my book were written for trans people. Um, and I think it can be really productive. I think it can be really productive and eye opening to read something that really wasn't intended for you, um, and see what it's like. And really, uh, Nevada and A Safe Girl to Love are two of, in my opinion, the most important works of trans literature that the 21st century has seen so far. Um, they just haven't gotten as much attention because they're pretty, they're pretty indie. Um, but they're absolutely worth a read. A Safe Girl to Love is one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and I got to, I got to meet the author by virtue of, uh, by virtue of my book being sent out for reviews and it was one of the best days of my life. Um, so I will always recommend her book. I'll give it a research and try and... <laughs> it was really cool to hear about your experience writing and all of that. All the things. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's a, not what I imagined, the book. It, it looks so contemporary. And it, and it is. And it is in, some, in many aspects, but when you read it and there's all that... The more nitty-gritty stuff, I was just like, ooh. Like, I think it's very unapologetic. <laughs> And it's really important. You, so, you sounded like a mom from Kent for a second, like, oh! <laughs> no, no. Oh. But yeah, no, it was a pleasure doing the interview. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was afraid that people would see the book and think that it was... Would see the book and think that it was like an after-school special. <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's the way to sneak it into... Um, cisgendered classrooms and make them read <laughs> stories about people who aren't them. Trick people into thinking it's educational. <laughs> it is educational, though, to, to people who need it. Yeah. Sort of seeing that there's been two responses to it. There's the trans reader who feels all that relatability, and then there's the cisgender reader who's like, shit, I've been so ignorant. <laughs> yeah, I think the message a lot of cisgender people come away from it with is like when they see stories like boys don't cry they tend to be like oh cis people exist like trans people exist and trans people have feelings and what people come away from my book with is like oh trans people have feelings like me like yeah they don't just they don't just sit around all day going woe is me like i wish i was a girl like they want boyfriends and good grades and friends and stuff <laughs> just like regular people yeah my trans flatmate, who I'm about to give a little shout-out, is just obsessed with flowers. That's all his life is. <laughs> flowers and the band Muse. He might be able to oh, hear me, actually. <laughs> tell him I said hi. I will. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, and tell him that I'm, if he's read the book, tell him I'm very sorry. Um, there was a competitive love interest for Grant, uh, who was a trans guy named Zeke, in one of the earlier drafts, but we ended up having to cut him. Um... Damn. But I'm gonna try to include more trans. I'm gonna try to include more trans masculine people in books in the uh, future. He's transitioning from um, male to female, but just hasn't changed his pronouns yet. But 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but he would... Well, then I take everything back. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I think he'll like the book. I'm going to make him read it. He doesn't read very often, so I'm going to force him to. I'll hit him with it if he doesn't. <laughs> well, so, tell him not to take the NHS for granted, because every trans person who lives in America looks at England and Canada and feels tremendously jealous. Yeah, he went for coffee with me and my American friend, who's from Connecticut. I can't say it properly. And um, he mm-hmm. was talking about all the things he's going to get in the NHS in 10 years or so. And my American friend was like, oh, my God, like, you can just get anything for free. <laughs> Socialism, man. Yeah. I know a trans-American who's studying here as well. And he was like, you even get the boobs for free? Like, just mind blown. <laughs> yeah. That's why I always have to sit on my hands uh, when I have... Friends and fans from Australia and Canada and the UK will, like, talk to me and they'll complain about, like, there being a wait for the NHS. Like, I've got such a wait to get my surgery and I'm just, like, sitting on my hands, like, but it's that great. sounds like a real bummer. <laughs> that sounds really rough. Yeah. I do have to remind a few of my friends occasionally that they are getting it for free. I think it's ten years is the wait, but for f- free everything, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had I was in Denmark and I got interviewed by the paper and they were like ever since we opened up our gender clinic for the National Health Service so many kids have been saying they're transgender. Do you think they're just doing it because it's like a fad now? And I was like, no, literally oh they've just always been around and you made it feel possible so they came out. Because people would just change their genitals as a Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Trend, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People used to say that about gay people, didn't they? Oh, it's just a fad. It's just it's trendy. Yeah, that David that David Bowie fella. <laughs> oh god. People.